We can very, very quickly hear things that God is speaking to us for our own betterment and quickly run to a hiding, shameful place. And that's not God's intent. Genesis shows us this. When Adam and Eve, what's the first thing they do is cover shame. So keep these things in mind because it starts to create filters and blocks from our view of God, but also filters and blocks from the voice of God. So we don't quite understand what he's trying to share with us, but it's not anything other than us putting something in between us and him. So we need to keep that open, one may say vulnerability, to it. What we're going to discuss today is going to get a little intense, kind of like camping, it's intense. Dad jokes. Am I right? I've been waiting to use that one for a while. Okay. And it's going to be in two separate parts as far as two separate concepts. And I want to open it with a couple of understandings. And I kind of want to read it a little bit more of my verbiage that I had typed out during study just to make sure I get, get the words right. I believe that's kind of the, the words that God gave me were those words. Uh, and I want to share that first before we really jump into the information. This information is, first and foremost, I am taking the assumption this morning as I did last week. I just want to clarify. One of the reasons I gave the opportunity, again, that was not to shame, but just to allow that because this conversation today first and foremost is to the church okay this conversation is to the church and the people who are called out who are believers who are actively walking their faith his church it's who this is intended for it's intended for corrective understanding and it is, and I'm going to use this word, so if this puzzles you, you can, we can chat afterwards. But it's also a picture conceptual, if that makes sense. We will not be spending a lot of time today, as we do so often, which is a good thing to do, in reading scriptures, defining words, and understanding what it means. Not because that's not important, not because that wasn't done to get this information. But I want you to focus on the understanding of it. Scripture tells us in all you're getting, get understanding. And y'all know some of us are rednecks around here. Understanding, it's something you can stand on. But if you don't know it, you can't stand on it. By definition, we call faith standing firm. So we need to get understanding. Most of the reasons, the concepts, and the ideas that have been painted in the Bible for us and in Scripture for us, we don't. What's the number one thing people say when they read the Bible? We don't understand. We must put on our spiritual eyes to understand it. We must know that the things that are being communicated, it is not hidden knowledge like this weird idea of God's trying to... It's not hidden knowledge 
but because of time, we have lost, we've lost understanding. God didn't hide it away from you. It was hidden for you. And he kind of gave us the combination, if you will. (laughs) But we must understand it is for spiritual purposes. Spiritual understanding and natural application. So as long as we've got that set and understand this is for the church primarily. This is for the church of today. It's the modern church. This is for our body. The church means all by all parts of the body. But specifically, he's speaking this to us here and now. Before we dive into this, this is what I want to say. Hurt is a real thing. And it really hurts. And I do believe that sometimes church hurts are the worst hurts. And I think this is because when we, whether we know it or not, even you know, even uh, you know, kind of cognitively, it may be kind of subliminal in, in, in our conscious here. But when we come to a body of believers, a, a church, and 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 a, and a group of people that's like, well, they're supposed to believe in God, we kind of expect to see the Spirit of God in them. Right? So that's why you don't really get upset, right? Like, if you know someone is a thief and you leave something out on the table, knowing that they're a thief, and you go walk out of the room, come back, and it's gone, I mean, you're not happy about it, but it doesn't really hurt you because you kind of expected it. Y'all ever had done something like that for someone or something that, like, uh, you know, you, you kind of know their tendencies, but you know you need to give it a chance. And yet you don't like it, but it's not a deep, deep hurt. You, you kind of expected it. But I think church hurt hurts the most because we don't expect it. We expect to see the Spirit of God and the body of Christ in it. What do we mean by that? Again, like I said, I'm, I'm going to bring in a whole lot of terms that get thrown around in His church that we don't know what in His name we're talking about. When we observe someone, when we observe anyone, but specifically someone who is tied to this construct idea of a, of a of the church, what we tend to do is to expect to see the Spirit of God and the body of Christ. What do we mean by body of Christ? Most of us, what we mean, body of Christ, meaning a whole bunch of people that all are Christians. No, what we really, what the real meaning, where the body of Christ concept came from was literally that Christ, Jesus' body is no longer here. So Christ, the word Christ, I'm going to break down a whole lot real quick for you. The word Christ means the anointing that was upon Jesus and his body isn't here, so it's got to go somewhere. So we will be the physical embodiment of that now that he is gone. Y'all didn't know that? Go research your Bible. It's everywhere. Meaning that the very thoughts that we have look like thoughts that Jesus had. That his his physical form had, we now have. Meaning the very actions that his physical form had during those days, we now have during our days. 
the very compassion that he had in those days, we now have in those days. And I'll take it a step further. The very power that he had in those days, we are to have. And we all have a little piece of it. And it says, now we are all that body. Ain't a single one of us the whole thing in a bag of chips. Some of us are just the ingredients. We ain't even, we ain't even the real substance of it. We're just the, I'm the sprinkles. Just make it look pretty. We believe to see that. And that's actually scriptural, did you know? If you didn't know, I just told you about it. Christ was supposed to be that. So we're supposed to be that. So when we look at our children, we expect to see that. Yeah? And this is what makes hurt. Hurt's real. And church hurt is really harsh. It hurts deeper. I mean, it's... When you experience anything like that, it is real. Why we expect to see the Spirit of God in the body of Christ is because in Genesis 1... Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, 27, 28 is where we see the initial creation of man. And he's, God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Image and likeness. There's not to be an image of God ever on the earth, right? It says that constantly. Well, but, but, but why is there not supposed to be an image of God? God made an image of himself. Let him make us in our image. God can make an image, but we can't. Why? Not of him because we are supposed to be that living sacrifice image. To bring forth his kingdom in all the earth. I am... Um, there's a whole lot of stuff. You can just go watch all kinds of stuff that we've taught because this whole concept is quite well fleshed out through Scripture and we've taught a lot on it. So our job was to literally be the exact replication of God. Now, how He is in heaven, we are to be here on earth is what we mean when we say, say you know, on earth as in heaven, meaning how you do it up there, I want to do it down here. I'm going to walk that out. I'm going to spread that into all the earth. That's Acts chapter 1. That's in Genesis. It's kind of everywhere. So when we don't see that, kind of hurts, yeah? So now that I've addressed that it is real, the problem is we handle hurt wrong and we handle healing wrong. Think about that for a minute. We handle hurt wrong and we handle healing wrong. You may be asking yourself, self, how do I handle healing wrong? I, I didn't know that that could be done. Be honest with you. And as I was reading through some some texts and things, I was like, oh, man, do we handle it wrong. We don't handle it God's way at all. Now, the good thing is, is that he gave us lots of examples of how to handle it and how not to handle it. We're going to talk about that. The hurt portion and the healing portion of how we handle it. But I have to tell you something about your church hurt. Who's been hurt by church? Who's been hurt by this church? Me. <laughs> my, my, hey, 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 hey. My kids are like, yeah, I get whippings. But let me help you out real quick. And you can disagree with me, that's fine. Most of your church hurt is self-righteousness. 
because you want all the grace given to you for all of your not being the image of God, but when you see someone else, you immediately say, well, they shouldn't have. Yeah, you shouldn't have either. So we set up ourselves in a place of this weird self-righteousness of absorbing all the grace for ourselves, but quite stingy to give it anywhere else. We have to be careful with that. That doesn't mean, I already said, America. I already said, church hurt is a real thing. It's painful sometimes. But that doesn't mean that it changes a thing. The church has always been a mess. You cannot find one place in Scripture where the church was good. Like just, man, on point. You say, oh, the, the book of Acts. Dude, in less than one chapter, they go from all in the upper room, everything like that, they go out there, they start getting attacked and stuff like that, and the very next thing that we see when they're all in unity all of a sudden, and, and I won't get off on a tangent, because and then they all sell everything they have, they get all together, da 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 like that. Two people didn't do it right. Ananias and Sapphira. Now, this is New Testament stuff, so y'all better go check your theology, what I'm about to sh share with this story. They don't do it. They said they were going to, but they didn't. They didn't do the image of God. They, they, had, they covered some things up, right? What happens? They don't actually do it. They walk in. Well, not they, actually. Uh, but one of them walks in. And y'all know Peter, this dude. Can y'all just, just picture we're on the scene. We all agreed to do something. Like, I don't know, fast. And everybody said they were going to, but some didn't. And you walk in the church the next Sunday, and I think Taryn is more like Peter, so we'll say, Taryn. Uh, <laughs> and Taryn says, hey, Mike, can I use your example? Okay. He says, hey, Mike, you and Kim didn't do what you said you were going to do. These two men, you're about to drop dead, and when she comes in, she is too. And they're going to bury you out back. That's what we got all that acreage for. That's why they put cemeteries close to churches. And says, bye. And that's what happened. Now, some of y'all are like, Jared's hoping we all drop dead. I mean, it wouldn't make my life easier, but... No. <laughs> kidding, kidding. That's New Testament stuff that happened. So the church has always been a mess. Because... Y'all don't read your Bible, so you may not know this, but... Most of the letters Paul writes, which is like two-thirds of the New Testament, is all addressing the church and the mess that they've made. So we shouldn't be surprised when we're a mess. Nor should we have self-righteousness and expect other people to clean the mess, clean up their mess, and we got our whole thing. Sorry, kiddos. I love you, but y'all are great examples. I lived through it, and I'm all right. Y'all ever come on, who's, who's got kids? Or, or watch the grandkids or whatever, you know, you, 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 uh, nieces, nephews. So I guess if you have grandkids, you had kids at some point. So <laughs> niece, nephew, whatever like that. And they're all sitting at the table. I, this happens every time we're sitting at the table and kids get up. It's like, who was sitting there and left that mess? Well, it wasn't my mess. Blah, 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 blah. And then my wife and Evelyn says, well, clean up your, I'm not, whose was it? I didn't ask you about your, you just clean up your mess. You ever had those kind of conversations? So let's not allow this church hurt thing and self-righteousness thing to ask other people to clean up their mess when we leave in our own mess or we've actually made the mess that looks like it was theirs. 
Like, I, I got to say that again for myself. You look at somebody else and think they are such a mess, but you out actually contributed and created that mess because you weren't the image of God and you created the hurt or contributed to it. Now again, I told y'all, do not take correction as shame and condemnation. Take it as saying, okay, I see it. I'm moving closer to communion now. So we shouldn't be surprised. The church has always been a mess. But this is the question we need to ask ourselves. This is point number one. If you're oh, yeah, by the way, sorry. Some of you take notes and whatnot like that. So if you do, I don't really typically do titles, but I like this one. Community betrayal is communion fail. It either is it or we'll create it or we fail at communion and then betray communion. Do remember, we are a, a community centered around communion. Communion is supposed to be the first thing, then it creates community. There's nothing wrong with community. i got to say that every single week. I know some of you are like, he doesn't want us to talk to each other. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's nothing to do with that. Centered around communion and then the community comes. But, when there's betrayal in the community, we fail at communion. And this should not be the case. Matter of fact, it wasn't the case one time. And this is the first point. This is the question you need to ask yourself. Jesus or Judas? Who do you want to talk about and who do you want to look at? Jesus or Judas? Now we all say Jesus, but we focus on Judas. Let me give you some reality here real quick. If you want some scriptural, scriptural, that's not a word. Is it? Could it be? Yeah, let's see. Scriptural reference. Sorry, that's kind of hard to say. <laughs> Scripture reference. If you want to know this, it's in all four Gospels. The story of Judas's betrayal. Did you know something? It's an interesting fact. Do you know in all four Gospels, Judas gets more more screen time in the Bible than any other disciple save Peter. You know that? If you actually read Scripture, Judas is talked about and has the, talks more than any other disciple save Peter. There's actually an interesting, I'm not going to go here, but you can go do this research. It's actually an interesting uh, kind of parallel between the two of them, actually. Because Judas betrays Jesus one, uh, one or two accounts says that he, he regrets it and, and then he, he literally goes and commits suicide because he is so grieved at what he has done. That's what two, two of the accounts, the other two accounts don't really give us much, uh, much things about him trying to be sorrowful for it except for it just says this is what happened. But Peter denies Jesus three times and then comes back around. Y'all need to hear that real quick. Y'all hear that real quick? See, one betrayed and did something and said, I'm done. The other betrayed and said, no, I'm moving forward. Okay, now that's just for fun. Nothing to do with it. I had fun with that. Did you have fun with that? So Matthew 27 is one of the, the areas that this whole Judas thing happens and, and all, like I said, all four Gospels share with it. Matter of fact, Acts talks about it in Acts uh, chapter 2 or chapter 3, I believe it is. Uh, Peter basically recounting about what happened to Judas. So we got this story like five times. Let's talk about Judas for a second. Who was he? Disciple of Jesus. Okay. The one of the twelve. The original twelve. Did y'all know he was the treasurer? 
you got to be pretty trusted to hold everybody's money. Don't y'all know the night that he was praying, Jesus there is like, where's Judas? Y'all didn't know that. He was quite trusted disciple. All of them were. But I mean, he was given a pretty important job. Again, just put this, just think about this for a minute, okay? It's not about money, but they traveled around. They had to eat and stay somewhere. I mean, they didn't have Holiday Inn Express, but even that cost. Unless they were couch surfing, I don't know, maybe, maybe they chiseled out some tablets and put out like couch for rent. I don't know. But they had to have money. And this was the guy to keep up with it. It went, they traveled around, guys. If y'all don't know the general story, I'm just kind of giving you some, some textual analysis here and understanding behind what happened. They traveled around for give or take three and a half years together. Who has been here for one Sunday? It would be everybody because you're here today. That's just to make sure you're participating, okay? Who's been here for a year? You've been here for two years, three years, four Five, six, seven, 32 years. Me. Okay. <laughs> and Mimi. <laughs> now, why do you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Think about how much you know and have gotten to know people in just a year, six months, two years, three years, somewhere in that. Let's, let's not go past three, but just think of people you have known for about three years. Now, you don't spend pretty much every waking moment with them. You see them maybe once a week, maybe twice a week. And you're not really having direct conversation with them. You're kind of just around each other, right? So how much do you think all of the disciples knew each other? Pretty well. They trusted each other. They traveled together. They were with each other all the time for three solid years. God is telling all of us that's what we're going to do right now. Just kidding. Oh, like, I could not handle you for three solid years. <laughs> So do you understand the level? How betrayed do you think the disciples were by Judas? See, we always talk about Jesus' betrayal. And we need to look at how Jesus handled this. We also can look at how the disciples handled it. Because guess what? It's happening the same way. Y'all have not thought about that, have you? How did the disciples handle this betrayal? You see one instance. I need you to hear this. You see one instance where Peter is sharing what happened to Judas. He is not sharing with just the 12 disciples. Well, at this time, there were 11. They were about to get a 12th one. Maybe they're about to man up a little bit, get, kind of get their bench on the, on the field and stuff. So they're about to get their, their next 12. But guess who he was talking to? A bunch of people who didn't know all the details. So he had to share it so they understood why they're about to get another guy coming in. Sometimes we paint that picture like, see, Peter was talking about Judas. The 12 disciples were like, man, can you believe in Judas did that? They all knew what he did. He was sharing it with some other people that were a part of their upper room experience. Guess what you don't see? That talked about again. You see a super brief mention here or there about the betrayer. They don't even give him a name anymore. One instance, moved on. We struggle with our communion because we are over here talking more about the betrayer 
we're over here talking more about how it hurt us and all the hurts that we have. I mean, haven't you been hurt? Haven't you been hurt? Jonathan's over here like, oh, I hurt my shoulder. Y'all just don't know. And Steph's over here, well, y'all, you don't know. I had to have surgery. Well, yeah. Well, I've done this for 15 years and had something happen every other day. We get in a victim competition to see who can talk more about the betrayer and who's been betrayed more If I could do that, I could, but God, I don't want to sit here where I mess with lights. Imagine a spotlight, because if I can be the betrayed, look at all this. No, I wanted you to first. No, because if we can out victim and if we can talk about the hurts and we're over here having our own little communion about all the hurts and the pains and da, 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 about this and we're not looking at Jesus we're not looking at the life we're not looking at the spirit of God we're not looking at that at all we're looking at each other's hurts and saying oh yeah you have been hurt oh well then you've been hurt a little more you get to get a little closer and we're playing this jockeying position that we talked about last week and we're not moving down the table because we uh, Jonathan, I'm stealing it. This was totally John's idea. It was fantastic. And maybe he should still teach it. We are hypochondriac Christians. My sister-in-law is a hypochondriac. She is insane. I love her to death. I could tell you a couple of stories, but I won't tell you details. But I remember this wasn't the last time she was here, but the time before last, we were talking about something that, she, and that, uh, that was going on. And I mean, she's like, it could be this, it could be this. I mean, she is like, you're already one foot in the grave. And, and all you need is like a Tylenol or something, you know, like, I don't, like or just go to sleep because, you, you know, because you had young babies and you're just tired. We're hypochondriacs with this and we start playing this, this game and all we start to do is focus on the hurt that happened instead of the Spirit of God. Look at the disciples. They didn't sit around moping and complaining about, can you believe Judas did that to Jesus? Well, not even to Jesus, to us. Search me. Try, search the Bible. Find me a place where there's one bit of, one iota of complaining about it. Or even mention about the hurt that it caused them. You don't even see it. They immediately, because they were so focused on the mission that God had given them that when the betrayal happened, they were like, all right, what do we do next? Some of them, yes, they got discouraged, but not because of the betrayal. They got discouraged because they didn't know if what God had told them through Christ was going to happen. Y'all didn't see, look, we know they got discouraged, not because of the betrayal. That's not the reason. That was the thing that brought about the situation but they didn't they weren't even talking and focused on that they went back to doing what they were doing before and they were discouraged because they didn't trust and know if it was actually going to happen but then when it did they said oh and they went right i mean hook line sinker into doing what christ had asked them to do 
do I need to tell the story a little bit? I see a little bit of confusion as to what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is when Jesus rose from the dead and he revealed himself to his disciples, they all were like, whoa, this is amazing. And then they're like, it's really happening. Can you believe this? Do you see a mention of Judas anywhere? About their hurt and their pain? No, they were so in awe of who he was and what happened, they didn't even care about their best friend. Yeah, because that was one of their best friends. Either that, or that was a really rough three years. One of their good friends betraying them doesn't even in the picture. Because they're in awe, because their eyes are focused on him and not on the betrayal. And then what they do is they actually begin to do what Jesus told them to do. They followed him. Now, if y'all aren't aware of this, when Christ returned, he had returned for give or take about 40 days. So y'all think like Jesus came back for a day and then left. He was here for like a month. That's why, remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how many other people proclaimed to be the Messiah, and y'all can't name a single one of them. Uh, except for Jesus, that because they claimed it, they died, and they never came back, and they didn't hang around for a bit. God's not dumb. He had them hang around for a bit to make sure that it solidified, that it corrected any falsehoods that grew during those few days that he was gone, to make sure there was nothing that could stop his mission. And the disciples were right there in it saying, we're going to follow and then after that happened, when Jesus ascended, he says, now go and wait. And, and then the Christ part of me, the spirit, that's about to be all over you. I'm about to make a mess, but it's a good mess. And from that moment on, they continued and begin to follow. Do they, did they mess up in the process? Yes. Did they betray each other in the process? Yeah. Peter and Paul get into an argument and call each other hypocrites and everything else. And then yet, but they still serve God. And what do we do? Because we expect to see it, we have that self-righteous mentality of it that we expect all the grace, don't want to give it to somebody else. We get betrayed by the church and abandon Jesus. We get betrayed by the church and blame it on God and say, well, those people are all fake. Yeah, so are you. You're inconsistent, I'm inconsistent. You betray people, I betray people. You say things you are not supposed to say and God knows y'all know I say all kinds of things I'm not supposed to say. Y'all getting that? Again, I said I was talking to the church. They didn't spend their time doing that. They spent their time focused on the mission that was given. When we begin to do this, to get our eyes on God, when we begin to do this, there is less betrayal. Doesn't mean it goes away completely. Because let's look at this. Jesus had 12. How many like fully betrayed him? One. How many struggled with it? How many doubted though? All of them. Like all the time. So guess what? Your doubt, God ain't surprised by it. I mean, if... <laughs> come on, y'all. Just think about it for a minute. If you were literally walking beside Jesus... Now, I'm assuming that you believe Jesus is who Scripture says he is. You're literally walking beside him and they still had trouble with it. God is not surprised by your trouble with it. He's going to continue to challenge you to move past it. But he's not surprised by it. 
but only one of them fully betrayed and walked away. That's a much better success rate than the modern church. Why? The focus was on Christ. When the betrayal happened, they didn't turn and stop and say, oh, can you believe this? Our reputation will be ruined. They said, no, it's about the mission. Come hell or high water. And hell may come, but we'll get the hell out of it. When we begin to have communion with the Spirit of God, which is what Jesus provided, that is what he was trying to do and show us, was say you have direct access to the table. Y'all are aware of that song, I was carried to the table. How were you carried there? The Spirit of God, person of Christ. <laughs> Seated where you don't belong, okay? No shame in it. You don't belong, I don't belong. You betray, I betray. Again, not saying, it's cool, just keep doing it. No, 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 that, that's the repentant side. That's a whole other piece of it. Because when, and you don't even have to worry about that because if you sat down at the table where, where Christ said you're supposed to sit, you will be just like the disciples in awe and you won't be worried about all that. And you'll be quickly trying to say, ah, you'll be like Peter and saying, I did deny, but not anymore. In view of him. But we got our eyes over here on Judas at the end of the table. But when we begin to get in direct communion with the Spirit of God, the betrayals begin to lessen. And we begin to care very little about it. And then, ooh, guess what? Then when the hurts come, we know how to deal with it the right way. Because y'all didn't think I was about to get, I'm, I'm, I'm there. We're almost done with point one. And then we're going to go point two. We learn how to deal with the hurt. Now, I am not into this self-help whatnot. Because you can't help yourself one bit. Spirit of God can, but you can't. We have seen what our trying to help ourselves has created. Is anybody happy with that? No. So, so all of these great processes of how you must acknowledge and must deal and blah, blah, blah. That's great. That's great. Look at Scripture. That's what they do. They acknowledge it. They look at it. And Peter says, everybody, this is what happened. But what Christ told us to do is way more important than that. And so you may be limping right now. But that brother and that sister is going to pick you up. And instead of carrying you out the back because you're refusing to be a part, we're carrying you straight to the table because that's what Jesus did, so that's what I must do. Y'all didn't say that's what I want to do, must do. I chose that word very carefully because you will not want to do it. When we deal with the church hurts because it, church hurt stays in the church. I'm going to say it. <laughs> if you're posting anything negative towards any church on Facebook, stop that crap. You are taking something that is a family matter and publishing it out there to the whole world. And I use Facebook example. I don't care, Instachat and whatever the hell there is, okay? I know it's Instagram. I'm not a Luddite. 
If you don't know what a LEDOT is, someone's scared of technology. Can I say that again? I'm going to because I got the mic. Church hurts. Stay in the church. <laughs> God just gave this to me right now. And, uh, I'm going to back to, to Braveheart. Yes, Father, I'll tell them. <laughs> Y'all know what happens, though, too? Church hurt stays in the church. But you know what happens when a hurt goes from one area of the body to the other area of the body? That's called an infection. So yeah, you better keep it straight that even hurts within this part of the body stay in this part of the body. That ain't about all victory and vulnerability. No, if we're dealing with hurts the right way, it ain't hurt anymore. It's the next side of this called the testimony, and I'm going to give that to you in a minute. I need to say that again because y'all ain't catching this. Church hurt stays in the church, but if you take it outside of our body part right here, I don't know what part of the body we are. Maybe a toenail. But if you take it outside of our part of the body, you are beginning to infect the entire body. And that goes for if you're coming from one part of the body because God's called you to another. I have no problem with understanding that God calls us in seasons to different parts of the body. But you better, sure as God is my witness, leave that hurt either there or if you bring it here, you better make sure when we shoot you with some penicillin to correct this stuff that you don't then get hurt again and go travel somewhere else down the bloodstream. Okay, I'm going to take that little section, I'm going to cut it, and I'm going to put it on replay. Just, can we do some kind of a live thing? I need Caleb. We'll do some kind of a live thing and just on repeat to tell this is how the church should treat hurt and it should work in the hurt because when you're at the table, that's where it's healed. The table is a place of restoration. Now, if you want to know where I'm getting all this information, it's called the entire Bible and the Spirit of God. And you can go read chapter after chapter in the New Testament, Paul does a fantastic job at trying to help the body understand how to quit infecting itself. One of the things that y'all studied a couple weeks ago, this is not in my notes either, but I got time. Most of you are about to stay for lunch anyway, so. You're like, wait, they're staying for lunch? Yeah, be a teacher, stay for lunch. Y'all studied something a couple weeks ago where Paul was doing this. If you were here on that Wednesday, Ryan, Ryan did it, and it's, it was around a, a section of Scripture where they're talking about customs, about men shouldn't pray with their, their, their heads covered. Y'all ever heard that? That's where we get the taking off of the hat thing. Okay? And, and women should, should pray with their head covered. Because if women pray without their head covered, then, then that brings shame upon her husband. And, and if she has short hair, that's shame on her husband. But men, don't you have long hair? And we've infected the whole church with all kinds of craziness. But again, Paul's showing how to correct this stuff. First off, we could understand what he was saying by using hermeneutics. If you don't know how to do that, there's a seven-week course on ardentchurch.com. Okay? <laughs> but <laughs> Paul goes further into it. He says, hey, if this is an issue, just drop it. Now, that's not how he says it. What well, he says is, this causes controversy among you. We have no such custom. So really King, which he didn't probably even say it that way because, you know, that was King James. And that's not how they spoke. But he said something to the effect of, if this is an issue with you, we don't worry about it. Then he says, but there is something to worry about right after that. No, we taught about this. He says, I do have an issue about how you're doing this communion thing. And if you actually read that portion of the communion thing, what he's saying is you guys are sitting at the table gorging yourself. And the people who really need it are sitting out there and because you won't get your butt up off the table and become a server of my people. What did Jesus say? 
to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He said, of course I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. Don't laugh at me. Have y'all seen this? So if you're wondering where we get how to deal with these things from, it's in Scripture. It's all over. We have understandings to help us understand what it means to walk out as the body of Christ. So if I was to sum up how to deal with hurt is yes, it happened. Keep it in the church. Keep it in the body. Handle it. Paul gives some really good examples of that too. He says, hey, take it to one another. Take it to the elders of the church. Y'all get together. Fix this. When he does, then my, my spirit unity come back. We'll sit back at the table together. And then it's the big F word, forgive. And when, man, I, I wish it hadn't became such a creative little fun thing because sometimes creative little fun things, uh, as much as I enjoy them doing it, same thing, but this whole big F word, forgive thing, has now become so pointless. We don't even know what it is. But I like good redneck things. Forgiving. I am for giving you another chance. I am for it. That's what I stand for. That's my understanding, is that even when the hurts come of betrayal, because of my view of God, I don't care. I'm for giving you another chance. And then another chance. And then another chance. And then the disciples are like, Jesus, how many times we got to do that? I didn't even know I was going here. This is good stuff. I'm preaching to myself, okay? Not to the choir. We don't have one of those. Just to myself. Because then they're like, well, how many times do we have to do this thing? Because this church thing is messy and they keep they keep hurting me and hurting each other. And How many times do we have to do this? I'm quoting a scripture right here, by the way, if you're not aware of this. And Jesus responds to them and says, what? He says, 70 times 7 in a day. It's like, what is that? Like 400 and some odd times? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, 490. If you've done it that many times, what's 491? Right? But let's let's break this down real quick. Just just this is not a part of my notes, but this is just some help. Okay? This is spirit help, not self-help. Seventy times seven a day. We don't understand parts of scripture because it's not a part of our culture. But they used numbers had meaning, not power, but meaning. Okay. Y'all know the difference. Saw some confusions, okay? Meaning. Not power. They don't do things. You can't, like, paint a number on a door. And it's like magic. It's not how it works. It just means something to them. That's how they did it. They played these games with numbers and stuff like that. They didn't have an iPod to entertain them or whatever like that, so they did number games. I know that was a little bit in my old days. 70 times 7. The number 7 means completion. That's why there are 7 days of creation. Completely. Seventy times seven. Completely, completely forgive them. Unto completion. So it's a process sometimes. But the process is is in, it means nothing compared to view of God. And so the issue we have and why we can't fix the betrayal in the church is because we have no view of God because we don't look at Him, we look at each other because we're more concerned about community than community. I'm preaching to myself. Yes? This is not, again, do you remember what I said at the beginning? When the Spirit of God brings correction, it is not for shame, it is not for that. It is so we can understand the shift. Now here's the next side of it. Here's where it gets... 
more fun. No, like I could get more hurtful. When the disciples didn't sit around and talking about this, they didn't talk about Peter. Y'all know that? <laughs> Peter didn't get kicked down to the end of the table because of his mistakes. <laughs> he became the rock on which Jesus built his church. There's the flip side of how we deal with hurt after we've understood the, yeah, acknowledge it and move past it and the forgiving of it and saying, because hey, that's a lot easier when I have you of God. I'm sorry, I'm not done here yet for some reason. If you find yourself struggling, everybody, I, I, I want to see the whites of your eye. If you, This is directly from the Spirit of God, and I very rarely have ever said that. If you find yourself struggling to forgive people or struggling to get out of hurts and pains, you have no view of God. Get a view of God, and that will fix it. Rewind. If you find yourself struggling to forgive things, if you find yourself struggling through hurts and repeating the same things over and over, not new hurts, I'm talking about repeating the same ones over and over, it's because you don't know God. I didn't say about your eternity, I just said you have no understanding and do not know Him. You have sat at the table, but you have not communed with Him. I'm speaking from personal experience here, guys. I don't fully understand God, never will. None of you will either. We could put all of the small percentages that we know together and it may make up a half a percent. At least that's my view of understanding that he's far, far beyond me. But in my personal experience, the more I have learned to commune with him, and yeah, it's a learning process, the more I've learned with commune with him, the less these big mountains, they become molehills. And I said to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. What sea? We talk about the sea of forgetfulness. Where forgiveness may be. We've got to move closer. We've got to stay in view. To where when there's other hurting, we ain't the ones still hurting with all of our and comparing bumps and bruises and war stories. We're getting up from the table and saying, I may have a limp, but you're bleeding out. You sit down. I'll limp around for a bit. Get view of the Spirit of God. If you're asking yourself, self, I don't know how to do that. Sit down. Turn everything off. Don't shut your eyes because you may fall asleep. And you can pray the same words over and over and say, God, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. Habakkuk 2 says that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. That word glory means presence and spotlight. The whole earth will be filled with this like the waters cover the sea. Which if you guys, like, how does water cover sea? Because sea is water. That's the point. You can't separate. It's just, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And what happens when we get view of God, those very hurts and things become something called a testimony. But we need to say a bit about testimony. Y'all with me? This is an old saying, but a very true one. Testimony. If you leave out the test part, 
in the passing of that test is just whining, moaning. And there's a whole lot of moaning, and it ain't moaning from the Spirit of God. It is complaining. Because we've taken the hurts and do the whole, like, you know, bumps and bruises thing. And we forgot what the testimony was about. And this is how... This is where y'all aren't going to like me. And I want you to hear me clearly. You'd rather not me. Hear God clearly. This is what I believe he gave me. Y'all know, I, God, God gives me rhyming things. Maybe I should have been a poet. I don't know. Like, they're, they're kind of rhyming and kind of fun. But it helps me remember it. And I think that's why he does it. He's like, Jared, you're done. Let me give you something that rhymes. And that's how we know it's true. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a testimony is for his glory. It's not your story. Your testimony, the hurts and pains and struggles you went through, is for his glory, his spotlight, not your story. It is not so you have a good story to tell and can, and can go market it and sell it and go travel around and tell everybody how bumped and bruised you got. And then at the last mention, we kind of give an honor. Oh, yeah, by the way, how I got out of that was God. And a lot of self-help for my book that I just wrote for you. No. It is all for his glory. And it's actually his story, not your story. Where have we gotten off with this idea? Hang on, I gotta get stop getting angry. That's righteous. Where did we get this idea? That I'm gonna share my story and my testimony. Now listen, I get it. Some of y'all are like, well, we did it like our stories thing. Yeah. And that our stories thing was all for his glory. I'm not saying there is not a story, but the story, you are not the main character in it. <laughs> More than likely, you're the villain. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. You're not the main character in the story. God is. And so when we get up to tell testimonies, I don't know where we've gotten to this idea. I mean, half of them, they spend 20 minutes whether it's standing up here or in, because y'all are aware, testimonies don't just happen because now I have the mic and let me share something with you. That's a, that's a traditional version. It still happens. It's still very useful and needed. But a lot of times we sit around here in our community and we share our stories. But we spend 20 minutes telling you about all the hurts and pains and how horrible it was. And we spend about 30 seconds saying, well, you know, but I'm working through it. It's like, where is God in any of this? Because you're working through it, which means he ain't working in it. Is it to the church? Yes. And all we begin to do is the, the wine inside of it. And, and we talk about the test. But we don't handle healing right. Because when God heals us, we are more concerned about the scar and the good story than we are about <laughs> doing the therapy with His Spirit to be stronger and to move past it. We like to take some glory from God. By the way, this is what uh, happened to Satan. And that's why I, he fell from it. That's why it happened. I'm aware of that. Just wanted to get a little bit of glory. Just a little bit of spotlight on this. 
When we handle our healing, I, I need to clarify this real quick. I am not right now at all referring to a physical healing. That is in scripture, it is a thing. I'm just not addressing it right now. When I use the word healing, I need everyone to understand I'm talking about your broken mindset. I am talking about your broken perception of God. I'm talking about your broken perception of His church. Not your physical healing. God can do miracles. He does do miracles. Why He does them sometimes and not others? Whole other conversation. Hey, maybe if we got to know Him a little bit better, we would have some of these. Not all, but some of these answers. Instead of sitting around trying to figure it out on your own. When we get the view of God, we understand how to handle our healing. We understand how to share the story, but the story is all about Him. You spend, you, 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 when we get this understanding, and I don't know what, what it's going to take for us to do it because we all got to figure this out. But when we get to telling the story of what has happened, it is focused around, let me hey, let me tell you a little story about God right here. It ain't let me tell you my story and tell me about, let me tell you about my hurts. It's let me tell you about God. And then someone may turn around and say, but you still look all messed up. Yep, but God. Th that used to be an old church thing, but God. Yeah, I don't know if y'all know that. I grew up in church, so I know all the little fun innuendo, you know. God is good all the time. God is good. Yeah, okay, y'all, that was... Y'all need to go to church more. No, I'm just kidding. But please do. But, God, the story becomes, whether it's in process... I heard a guy say it this way, and I love this statement. The church is the only community that actually celebrates the idea that you are all in process of knowing God. Everything else is trying to fix you, get you out of the process, and then... You're done. Move on. You're, you're, you're good. But the church community is saying we're all in this process together. And that's a good thing if we're in process. Now, don't get it twisted that you said it's a good thing that you're all messing up. It's not what I said. That is what it means to have no judgment in it, meaning you're in process, I'm in process. I'm not going to look at your process and say you're further ahead than my process and I should be closer in your process because what are we back to? This community thing shifting around the table and everything like that versus saying I will be still and know you are God. All these people beside me are not. And hey, love to talk to you guys, but I kind of want to hear what he's saying at the end of the table. Can you shut up? You ever had that happen? You ever been sitting at a big, long table and you're at the end of the table with not-so-good conversation? But then you hear a story kind of down at the end of the table and you're like, shh, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, because I heard my name. That's me, by the way. I can be looking at you and if I hear my name, I'm still staring at you, but I am listening to that conversation. And then I'll be like, wait, what did you just say? Can we be like that with this voice of God? Can we be sitting in the middle of our community and having conversations, but every one of them is focused on giving glory to God and saying, let me tell you about his story that he did in my life. It's his story. I just got a little part in it. I didn't get a main speaking part. I'm just a background, but I'm super excited about it. 
But then when he speaks up saying, wait, wait, wait. We were singing that song. You give me a ring and you call me by name. I don't know if y'all heard that line, just, but it just it resounds. It's actually a, a song written about the prodigal son. It's kind of telling the story of it. And can we be like that in the middle of our conversation, telling stories about God and be like, wait, 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 he's speaking. Shh, shh, shh. And hear directly from him. Because guys, the example of this is what we commonly refer to as a session of church. We all come down physically as an act of worship. Yes, we are all sitting at the table uh, spiritually, no matter where you are. The Spirit of God knows no bounds, knows none of that. We're always at the, I get it, okay? But what this is is an act of worship to come together and say, let's treat it like, like it would if we were in his living room and we're sitting down and yes, we're having conversations with each other, but let's be sure the conversations are not the first conversation I talked about where we're worried about Judas and talking about Judas and care about any of that kind of stuff and we're worried about the community and what the community looks like. All we're worried about is communion, but as we're sitting sharing stories about what God is, who he is, how he is, and we're talking about all that, if the Spirit is speaking, which he always is, we say, shh. I want to hear what he's about to say. This is the physical representation of that. We come together. We begin to commune as a body. That's why we call it corporate, meaning all of us together. Your communion is supposed to be all day, every day on your own. That's going to dinner for two. You and him. And when we come together, it's all of us. And it gets a little rowdy sometimes. It gets a little crazy sometimes. And someone does something dumb sometimes. But when he begins to speak, we say, shh. Stop the community. Because there's a deep level of communion we're all about to get. Habakkuk 2.14 was the one I told you about. The earth will be filled with what? The knowledge, understanding of who He is. And I want to read this verse in Isaiah 2. Isaiah 43.5 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Just listen to this. this is, I, I really didn't fully understand because the ending of it is really what I was kind of focused on. But for some reason, I, I, I feel like this first part is for someone in the body. I know this is weird, but this first few statements. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and I'll gather them from the west. And I'll say to the north, give them up. And I'll say to the south, bring them back. Bring my sons from afar and bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Listen to this, why we're called. And whom I have created for my glory. In whom I am informed, even who I have made. Why were you created for his spot? For his story. For his spirit. If we learn 
how to deal with hurt properly by having direct view of him and communing with him daily, just constantly. We will create a community centered around communion and we will learn how to deal with her. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So anyone who told you, become a believer and everything, just, just fix. No. You become more vulnerable, more chance. But you become like anti-fragile to it. And because of you, God, I don't really, like, hey, it's cool, you hurt me. Like, I wish you wouldn't have. But can, can, you, can we go back together on the same page here? When we learn how to deal with that, the way God says to deal with it. By the way, you won't know how he says to deal with it unless you have view of him. If you have view of him, you learn something from him. Let's do this. Kind of just always points back. All roads lead to Rome kind of thing. Everything points back to your direct communion with the Spirit of God. Then we learn how to handle our healing and give a true testimony, a testament to His glory. Because we will always end up giving our own stories and beginning to have a church that is focused inward and on itself. If we don't understand that, and if we look at the modern church, man's church that exists on this planet today, if we look at it, we look at ourselves, we say, yes, this is exactly what we're doing. We are not the light of the world. We are the light of our own lives. We're personally focused. We're community focused. And he's saying, wipe it clean. Get communion focused. Consume by me. You consume me and I'll consume you. created for his glory. And I just like this way, this is called parallelism if you're unfamiliar with it. Whom I have formed, even who I have made. Formed and made. Those do have two different meanings. But they're very similar. I just want to give this understanding. Parallelism is when you say the same thing in kind of two different ways, Right? I pretty much, I, I don't do parallelism. I do like a pluralityism. Uh, like this morning, I've said like two points in 50 billion different ways. Just to help you. You may have understood one, you understood the other. And I, I took all of them to help me with that. But parallelism is when they use the same thing and they just say it two times back to back. Same general meaning, but it's like this side of the coin and this side of the coin. Like this part of the understanding and this part of the understanding. Formed means to be fashioned after. Made means to be placed. I would like to refer you to the idea in Jeremiah about the potter and the clay. Oh, wow. Not my notes either. Uh, <laughs> Form and made. Made and formed both do mean to create, okay? Because he's a creator, God, Genesis 1. Yes, everybody follow me with this. But the first word formed has the understanding of it to be fashioned like a vessel, like Jeremiah. Go observe the potter. But last time I checked, anytime a potter's done with a vessel, they set it to cure. And all who come by and look at the vessels 
that were made by the potter don't say, wow, can you believe that pottery? How that, it just formed itself and how it did. No, they say, man, potter. Wow, that, that, that's beautiful. But who made it? Who placed it here for all to see? Yeah, 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 it's cool. But I want to know, I want to watch him make another one. By the way, we have TV shows. That's all they do. Every baking show is because you all look at something that you desire, and then you just want to see how it's made. There's a whole show called How It's Made. Everything. What? We want to know how it's formed, how it's fashioned. Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image and likeness. That's the formation I want to create. And some of us, I don't know if y'all know this about pottery, but I think it's called the kiln, which is where they cure it. And it takes sometimes intense heat and things, and sometimes it cracks under pressure. And you have to take it out. Do it again. Some of us, the reason you feel like you're in heaven and will and you don't have a testimony yet is because you keep repeating the same thing over and over. And so you're on the potter's wheel going round and round and got to go round in circles forever until you'll become moldable and pliable and say, I'll become your image and likeness. I won't keep my own image and likeness. I won't keep my own thoughts. I won't keep my own opinions. So if you feel like you're going round and round in life, how about you just let him mold and make you for his glory? And your thoughts and feelings of the matter become irrelevant. Easier said than done, I know. But let's not worry about the betrayals and the things that may have cracked us a bit, because he'll just reform us. Don't worry, you break my vessel. <laughs> I know the guy. You know what he'll do? If you break a piece off and I can't find that piece anymore, I've lost myself in it, as we would say. He'll just go get some new mud. He'll add some new stuff in there that's better and not tainted like the first one was. Go ahead, break me. In view of that, I'm cool with it. This is the goal. This is how a community centered around communion begins to deal with hurt properly and begins to deal with a true testimony that our conversation is centered around communion, not around us. We don't sit at the head of the table. This is the last little thing that I just wanted to share about the table is this. We go to sit at God's table. He doesn't come sit at yours. He carries you to his table and things are done his way at his table. You don't invite God to come to your table and he comes sits down at your table. Now again, if somebody's like, no, he'll chase me down. He'll meet me where I'm at. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your style of communion. Your communion is his. The more that you don't exist, the better off the Spirit of God can move through this. Now again, let me clarify, because I see some of y'all don't like it hurt harsh. Padding it up a little bit. I'll put some bubble wrap around the sharp things, snowflakes. When I say don't exist, I'm not talking about physically. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about everything of who you are becomes him, and you are indistinguishable from the person of Christ. Y'all are aware that's the goal. I hope this stays with you. Not just today, 
But every time that conversation of hurt comes up, you say, how do I deal with this right? How do I put the glory on God? How do I become less than this? Oh, it's almost like that in Scripture. It's also the door. It says something like that. Like, he must increase and I must decrease and something. This is brought to you by John 3.30. And I hope that it becomes a communion of your thoughts, a consuming nature of your thoughts, of how you become the testimony you are. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this. A testament, a witness, a covenant. Unbreakable.